Hello? Hello, Jake Fussell. Hey. Hey, man, this is the American songster Dom Flemons. I want to get you on the radio. You mind joining me? Yeah, man, that sounds good, Dom. All right, Lou, let's turn the dial and head on down the road. Sounds good to me. Hello, everybody. This is Dom Flemons. Welcome to American Songster Radio. I'm so pleased to welcome my friend Jake Fussell to the show today. Jake grew up immersed in the music of the American South. He's gone on to develop his own distinct voice as an interpreter of traditional music. William Tyler, who produced Jake's last record, refers to him as the professor you always wish you had and the friend you never get tired of epic hangs with. Jake and I are both collectors of different types of vernacular music, and we both brought a couple of songs to share this time around. Well, I love that you picked out that recording, actually, because it's sort of a great example of this coexistence of these seemingly uh, disparate things, right? So you have Alan Lomax trying to uh, recreate this authentic whatever would have been colonial music, right? But he had to do that by bringing people together from different regions, white and black and Bahamian. Yeah. And it sounds like authentic uh, 18th century music, but actually it's just a recreation. A little later in the show, I'll play my version of Yonder Comes the Blues, a song I learned from the recordings of the great Ma Rainey. When I pick up the paper to read the All right, well, folks, thanks for joining us on American Songster Radio. And, uh, well, I got Jake Fussell here. He's a wonderful blues musician, uh, uh, I guess a scholar in his own right, an interpreter of old folk songs, songwriter and everything like that. And uh, I've known him for quite a few years, and I just wanted to have him on the show because he's just recently moved to Durham from Georgia. What part of Georgia are you from there, Jake? Uh, I'm from Columbus, Georgia, which is where I grew up, right there on the Alabama line. Oh, wonderful, wonderful, man. And then you just recently had an album come out. How long has it been? About a year since your album came out? Uh, Let's see. It came out almost two years ago now. A year and a half, something like that. Well, awesome, man. Well, just to kind of give a little taste of uh, what Jake's been putting down on record, uh, we'll put his version of a song called uh, Raggy Levy that uh, really just blew me away. And let's play a little clip of that. Great, a little bit of Jake Fussell doing Raggy Levy, a wonderful song. I've always loved the lyric to that song and the the melody since I first heard it from the Georgia Sea Island singers. And uh, Jake, what 
What compelled you to do that song? In particular, uh, you also arranged it for guitar instead of it just being an a cappella number. Uh, what compelled you to do that, and how'd you come about it? Yeah, so I first heard Raggy Levy when uh, I was a kid. My my dad's a folklorist. My parents were both involved with, with folklore. My mother's a high school English teacher. And um, they were friends with this couple, Doug and Frankie Quimby, who were from Brunswick, Georgia. And Doug and Frankie were like a younger generation uh, who sang with the Georgia Sea Island Singers. And they had toured around uh, with that older generation uh like Bessie Jones and those guys who Alan Lomax recorded in the late 50s and early 60s. So I actually didn't hear Alan Lomax's recording of Raggy Levy uh, till a little later after I already knew that song from Doug and Frankie singing it. Um, but they were friends of my family, and um, my dad, as a folklorist, had worked um, as one of the organizers of the Georgia Sea Island uh, Festival back in... I want to say like the late 70s, early 80s. And so as a kid, I'd visited over there with my parents, uh, which was across the state from the part of Georgia that I grew up in. But I spent some time there as a kid and knew Doug and Frankie and heard a a lot of their songs. But Raggy Levy was one that always stuck out to me. So you you heard this from some of the Georgia Sea Island singers, some of the the younger generation of Mm -hmm. them that were linked to John Davis and Bessie Jones. But let's play a little bit. I grabbed one field recording that has always moved me, one regular, regular rolling under from Uh that same uh, session that uh, uh, you have Ragalevi from. And this one is a super session where you have all the Georgia Sea Island singers along with Ed Young from, from Mississippi playing the fife. You also have a Bahamian drummer by the name of Nat Ramings. And then also you have Virginia banjo player Hobart Smith, a white banjo player, playing a a little four-string banjo that they made. And it was all done for Colonial Williamsburg in Virginia. So it's it's this really wacky recording session, but Alan Lomax... uh, really uh crafted it quite well but anyway let's let's give a listen to regular regular rolling under Regular, regular rolling under from uh, from the Georgia Sea Island singers in a super group uh, done in 1960 with Alan Lomax, uh, featuring an all-star cast of different people. I think Alan Lomax picked up along the way. You know, I had a someone asked me in an interview recently. They said. You know, because I tend to use social media a lot, and whenever I see a story about folk music, I tend to post it or I try to put it out there. And uh, the person said, do you find it strange that you're doing this old music, but yet at the same time using this new technology to mm-hmm. share the stories? Do you find that odd? And I said, no, because everybody who documented it had the same, uh, they used the same premise. It was like, okay, I've got the most high-tech technology to document this really old thing. And... Uh, 
I just always have noticed that dynamic has been there. Uh, what do you think on that, Jake? Because it, it is one of these things where you have, uh, you have to have the gadget to record the thing. Sure. Well, I love that you picked out that recording, actually, regularly, regularly rolling under, because it's sort of a great example of this uh, coexistence of these seemingly uh, disparate things, right? So you have Alan Lomax trying to uh, recreate this authentic uh, whatever would have been colonial music, right? Mm-hmm. But he had to do that by bringing people together from different regions, a Bahamian drummer, the Georgia Sea Island singers, Hobart Smith from, I think, Appalachian, Virginia. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, from Saltville or somewhere yeah, like that. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And uh, white and black and Bahamian. Yeah. And uh, so is this like representing something that's a stasis or a crisis or what is this? Like it's like it sounds like authentic uh, 18th century music, but actually it's just a recreation. But that tension is always there. Even if you look at like uh, whatever you might think of being the most authentic or... uh, exemplary recording of this tradition or that, the closer you look at those things, they start to sort of disintegrate or they go in like 20 different directions, you know? Uh, I'm sure you know that because you're somebody who really studies this stuff. But as soon as you think, oh, I really love, uh, I mean, maybe this is a really obvious example, but if you, I really love Robert Johnson. He's the real Delta blues guy. Well, like Elijah Wald points out, what is, how is he the real Delta blues guy? And as soon as you start reading about his life, is he is he representative or is he like a, a freakazoid? You know, is yeah. he is he part of this place or is he actually maybe in some ways uh, very exceptional because he wasn't like his friends and neighbors and that he played all this music or you know? So I I think all of that stuff is um, illustrated in this music and it, particularly in a, a track like that. I just recently came across this. I did a a BBC report on Cecil Sharp, mm-hmm. and who very famously went into the North Carolina mountains and found this raw folk music in the in the hills of Madison County, and it was related to British folk music ways. So when I went to do this report, we met at a place called the Grove Park Inn in Asheville, and anybody who's ever been to the Grove Park Inn will know that it is the most posh, gigantic hotel (laughs) where all of the rich folks stay. And it was made in the early 19... uh, I think it was the the late teens was when it was made. No, it must have been around 1900 or something like that because Mm -hmm. it was was a new hotel when Cecil Sharp was there. So it's like he went to Hot Springs, North Carolina, so he went a little farther down through the mountain, but his, uh, his... uh, point where he had his headquarters was like this really posh hotel. So it was like <laughs> going into the mountains of North Carolina meant he was he was going into some of the hollers, but there was also some accommodations along the way. It's not quite trudging down that dirt road that they'll have sure. you romanticize about. Yeah. Well, and he he's a really good example of that too. From my understanding, he was particularly interested in unaccompanied balladry that was representative to him of this extension of uh, British folkways in the mountains. I don't think he was particularly taken with banjo players, though. No. Which he... is interesting, because now we think of Appalachia and banjo as almost synonymous, but at the time it would have been this newfangled uh, entrapment or something, you know? Oh, absolutely. That's one of the things that's really interesting. When you get deep into this, you get into some uh, alternate universes of how music 
can and uh, should and has been presented. Sure. <laughs> and all the, yeah, and all the weird sort of, if you start looking at the documentarians too, it's not just the artists or not just the people like Robert Johnson or the Georgia C. Allen singers. The documentarians, they all have their own like agendas that are, as in the case of Cecil Sharp, maybe from some bizarro fascination with one little aspect, you know? Yeah. Well, you had a, a field recording of a Nortenia band. Yeah, the, uh, there's this group, Monarchy and Nortenia, and they write about um, just life in um, in America, and that includes their 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 life in Georgia. And so this song, uh, Redada de Winder, is a song about the raid of a cockfight in Winder, Georgia. Well, let's give it a little listen. Por el pueblito de Winder. You know, to me, uh, talking about Cecil Sharp, you know, this this idea of event songs or narrative songs about events, to me, the corrido is really a, an extension of all that stuff. Maybe not a direct extension. Geographically, they're a long way away or whatever, but I think uh, those songs are alive and well in Georgia in the Mexican corrido. And then, you know, the obvious thing to me, being uh, somebody who's lived in the South and was, you know, doing Southern studies in, in my graduate work, I was looking around at uh, the contemporary music scene in a lot of small town America and a lot of the small town South is Mexican music. And we tend to uh, think about Southern music in terms of the binary. And of course, you and I know that that's always been a myth. Yeah. Um, or at least if it is a binary, it's a, a binary where black and white are borrowing from one another or stealing from one another. Yep. And um, so I like the idea of complicating that by bringing in Mexican music, uh, which to me is growing in its rich traditions all over the American South. Uh, there's Norteño groups, but there's also Huasteca string bands and yep. Jarocho music, and it's a lot of rich traditions of uh, from a segment of the population that's really growing here. So oh, it's absolutely. something that's worth paying attention to. But man, it's been a pleasure to chat with you and also to talk about different field recordings. Also, thanks for sharing these wonderful uh, field recordings with us. Yeah, man. And, uh, you know, we'll uh, keep an eye out for you in the future. And also, um, I mean, your album is just great too. Jake Xerxes' Fussel is an excellent record. And, uh, Folks should keep an eye out. Keep an eye out for Jake Fussell wherever you go. Thanks, Tom. This is a song that I learned from the great Georgia songstress Gertrude Maul Rainey, who was one of the most famous blues singers of the early 20th century. She was a big influence on Bessie Smith and a lot of the other singers out there uh, at that time. And... This is a, a song that I put together kind of along the lines that Jake and I were talking about, which is uh, listening to the music, 
but then reading about interpretations of the music and then reinterpreting a song based on that. And uh, this is a song that uh, when I first read about Charlie Patton adapting Ma Rainey's song Booze and Blues into his song Tom Russian Blues, I just uh, love that notion of taking all this sort of like bigger jazz band sound and turning it into sort of the more stripped-down country blues. And so Yonder Comes the Blues was a song that the lyric really moved me. And when I thought to start performing it, I adapted it and kind of made it a little country blues song, uh, just like Charlie Patton did way back. So here's a little bit of Yonder Comes the Blues.
American Songster Radio is recorded in the studios of North Carolina Public Radio, WUNC. This episode was produced by David Brower, Joe O'Connell, and me, Dom Flemons, the American Songster. To learn more about Jake and his latest album, Jake Xerxes Fossil, check out the American Songster Radio section of WUNC.org. There are more episodes of this podcast up on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. We've got episodes up there with conversations with Taj Mahal, Ketchikur, and folklorist Bill Ferris. Plus, there's even an episode about recording wax cylinders, the original records. If you like what you hear on American Songster Radio, subscribe, download, and tell a friend. Until next time, this is Dom Flemons, the American Songster, signing off.